0: Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Witten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers.
1: Hello, guys. In this episode, we talk to the adventurer and author, Alistair Humphreys, who could have accepted the offer of a job as a science teacher. He enjoyed his training and he was a good teacher. But Alastair wrote a letter to Mr Walker, thanking for him for the job offer, but explained he was off to cycle around the world instead. It was more of a letter to himself than anything, uh, a written statement of intent which led to four years sleeping in a tent. Many adventures followed, including a row across the Atlantic and walks across Iceland and India. The South Pole almost got him. But the next adventure turned out to be the adventure of a family, responsibility and being needed. Alastair's travel adventures weren't over. They just became much smaller. These days, Alastair designs his micro-adventures for himself and others. He's looking to make them short, simple, local, cheap, fun, exciting, challenging, refreshing and rewarding. Sounds good. If you want to understand where Alastair's adventure philosophy is going, it's worth listening all the way to the end when he plays his violin. This is his philosophy of adventure going beyond travel. Travel is what used to take him out of his comfort zone, but do it as much as he did and you lose your fear because you're confident that you can handle whatever travel throws at you. But busking in Spain without money or credit cards as backup sticking to his self-imposed rule that he'd spend everything he'd earned before the day was out. So that means waking up with no money every morning for a month. Well, that's quite an adventure when you've been learning the violin for just seven months and on a good day, you've got as far as grade one. He doesn't seem to think in terms of success and failure. Alistair seems to be a man for whom sharing his warts and all experience is what it's all about. Now, that's what I call a teacher. Alistair is a man who understands that the ordinary needs to be balanced with the extraordinary and that fear is the adventure. Enjoy.
0: Alistair thank you for spending some time with us on a reasonably glorious um, day and this might be a good a good entry point to the conversation actually that we so to set the scene we are in London at the British Library and Ray and I um, traveled up from Brighton we had plenty of time so we would we we found a nice spot up in the up in the terrace on the first floor and we set all the equipment up and um, and we were all ready to go and then sent you a, a, an email to try and work out where you were and you would got stopped by the people at the, at the entrance because your bag was too big. Um, <laughs> which no one expected obviously. And, um, there's probably two components to this, to this story. One is Ray and I looking at each other, feeling really frustrated that we'd probably done our best setup ever <laughs> and found this fantastic space. Um, and the other being what was in your bag, which we'll come to hopefully later. Um, do remind me to come to that actually cause I forget. Uh, but the, maybe as a, as a starter for 10, in that moment, I caught myself, and I know Ray did, just having that feeling where it's like, ah, oh, really fucking frustrating, you know, like that, that wasn't supposed to happen. Now we've got to go find somewhere else. And you, you live your life as a, an adventurer, which again, we'll, we'll talk about some more. But you seem really laid back, and, you, and this kind of situation must just be so normal to you. So do you want to start by just telling us a, li- a little bit about how do you how do you feel about those kinds of situations when they happen?
2: Well, I actually was uh, quite stressed because I was a bit late forgetting to you okay. and uh, through bo- boring phone issues, I essentially had no way of uh, sending you a message. Yeah. So I was then wandering around outside the library. Trying to find two blokes who look vaguely like they might be podcast <laughs> people. So I, so I was a bit nervous looking for a c- couple of dorks basically. So wow, oh, n- you found <laughs> us. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, appreciate that. So I was quite nervous and a bit stressed and I hate being late and that's all my natural personality. But one thing I've been really trying to do with myself throughout my whole adult life is to coax myself to be less like that and yeah. to be more relaxed and more spontaneous and more curious and more adventurous because they're all things i want to be but my
0: natural setting is not that that's uh, i'm really glad to hear you say that because uh, that's that's my my kind of hope is that we all suffer from the same lizard brain um and autopilot where those kinds of situations happen and it's just that immediate response of ah, that's, that that's ah, damn it but actually it just is what it is isn't it eh?
2: yeah it it is what it is you have to deal with what comes and one of the one of the real interesting things about big expeditions is trying to differentiate in your mind the things over which you have control um and the things over which you have no control sure. and therefore you should just relax. There's no, you know, if you're in a storm in the Atlantic Ocean, there's no point getting really angry at the waves because they're just going to keep on coming. So yeah. They, yeah.
0: Yeah. leave that, deal with all the bits you can deal with. And has your experiences over time with these profound adventures, has it had an a, a obvious impact on your psyche and how you go about taking on the world?
2: Yeah, my big adventures have had a huge impact on every side of my life. But very much so on my psyche and my personality through a deliberate attempt to change myself towards a person who I would rather be. So, um, yeah, I think they've made me much more self-confident, which comes as you build up momentum with doing things and doing things that are different and difficult. You start to get confidence and then with confidence comes momentum and then it rolls on quite nicely. Um, I've learned, um, to get to be better at focusing on what matters in life and what doesn't matter too much and being away in the wild having a miserable time is quite good for focusing those sort of priorities and I've learned that nearly well pretty probably every situation is better served by laughing about it than crying about it which is often a a a binary choice of activities when you're on an expedition
0: yeah okay there's so many places that we can revisit (laughs) so um Let's, let's, let's start with, um, some context of, of who you are. H- how do you describe yourself to people? Um, how I describe myself to people depends what I'm
2: looking for in that conversation. So let's,
0: let's say we've just met, um, uh, at a, at the British library, and we're doing Brit- a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I'd show off about myself <laughs> as
2: much as I could and say, I'm an adventurer and an author in the hope that someone might buy a book. Okay. <laughs> um, if I meet if I meet people, um, at random party things yeah. that I hate, then I usually say I'm a teacher or a writer. Basically, depends how much I can be bothered to talk. Okay. Which yeah. often, despite
0: being on a podcast, often is not very much. Yeah. So we'll let, we'll let's amp it right up then and say let, because the adventurer bit is the it sounds like the pinnacle. So g- give some shape to that for, for for the listeners. I
2: originally was going to be a science teacher. And while I was training to be a science teacher, I realized that being a teacher was really, really hard work and that actually much less work would be getting on my bike and cycling around the world for four years. So that's what I did after finishing university. Um I was away for four years, cycled forty six thousand miles through sixty countries and five continents, all on a total budget of seven thousand pounds. And then from that that just the interesting thing about going all the way around the world is it makes you realize how little of the world you've actually seen. <laughs> um, so that got me hooked on more adventure. So I then spent the next 10 years ish trying to do big stuff, rowing oceans, uh, walked across India, crossing the empty quarter desert, um ultra marathons, um, expeditions up in the Arctic in Greenland, just trying to be a big, tough adventurer. That's what I was originally trying to, trying to do. Did you manage that? Uh, I'm not sure I ever got as big and as tough as I'd uh, dreamed of in my insecure youth. But yeah, I got to the point whereby I was not only having brilliant adventures, but also earning my living out of these adventures, which I just felt ridiculously lucky to be doing. And also doing all the stuff for me to earn money, which is essentially writing, making little films, um, doing talks, all of that stuff I really love equally as much
0: as the adventures. so yeah i felt very fortunate um that so let let's take you right back to that moment at university where you were going to be a science teacher and then somewhere this idea of cycling the world cropped up do you remember where that came from i remember
2: while i was Meant to be revising for my A-level physics, that I found a book by a guy called ranald fine who so I'd uh, never yeah, heard yeah. of. Yeah. The book yeah. was called Living Dangerously, and that was a, just an eye-opener of wow, that is an exciting life that had never crossed my mind until then. Um, I then spent the next few years reading a lot of adventure books, daydreaming of it, sort of trying to summon up the enthusiasm, not the enthusiasm, summon up the guts and the motivation to actually do something. So I was very much geared towards going off to have a big adventure, but I kind of felt, which is a typical thing, I kind of thought, people like me don't do adventures. Uh, Only adventurers do adventures. I'm a normal person, so I need to have a normal life. Uh And I kept trying to reconcile these two things of, part of me wants to go do this. Oh no, I'm meant to be a science teacher, which is quite nice. And I was bouncing backwards and forwards in my head. You do look like a science teacher. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't know what he means by that. No, nor do I. So <laughs> no, I chose to say thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's Physics, good idea. chemistry,
0: or biology? Uh, d- uh, you've got me. I, don't, I just see you as a generic uh, science uh, teacher. Uh, That's, not a, a That's not a bad thing. Just a normal, generic, boring science teacher. Science teachers?
2: My moment of commitment, which I think is a thing everyone needs when they go from just daydreaming of stuff to actually deciding to do something yes was um my final year I was doing the placements in schools so and you go around schools and you do the typical student teacher and everyone abuses you yeah but I was quite good at it and I was doing it well and I really enjoyed it and the head master at that school he's called Mr Walker he offered me a job at the school so when I graduated said come here and be Mr Humphreys, the science teacher <laughs> and I was really chuffed because that meant I was doing well I liked the school and that basically just then the next 40 years of my life were mapped out. Then, you know, good job, lots of holidays, enough money, become headmaster
0: 40 years time and retire. And it was all there Mm. lined up for me. So is it fair to say at that moment you could see a future in the most stark way you'd ever seen for yourself? Um, Stark is not the right word. I think that's a bit loaded. I
2: I could see a future very clearly and I didn't see that as a bad future. No. I was perfectly happy with that life but I could see that this was a decision moment that if I was gonna do something else, something a bit out of the ordinary, that this really was the time to grab it because life gets ever more complicated and tangled. Yeah. So I I wrote back to Mr Walker saying, Dear Mr Walker, thank you for your offer, I'd really like the idea, but I've decided I'm going to go and
0: try and cycle around the world instead. Oh, fantastic. And maybe after that, I'll come and be a teacher. Yeah. So your moment of no return was telling him that that's why you're not accepting that immediate future. Yeah, it was uh, actually articulating it out loud or in a
2: letter to someone saying, this (coughs) is what I'm going to do, turns a whole head full of daydreams and nerves and insecurities into commitment to actually put something into action.
0: Were you, sorry, Ray, were, were you aware of that being the first step at the time? Yes. Yes. I was very aware of thinking, wow, right.
2: This is going to happen. Therefore I'd now better get on and learn how to cycle around the world. Mm. Uh, because when I finish in the summer, all of my friends are going to go and get jobs. <laughs> I need to get on my bike and start riding.
1: So what was that process of writing it out? it sounded like it was the first step that created a little bit of momentum which you had a choice to pursue or to keep going or not but was it the process of writing it down or was it the process of telling somebody else or was it both that was important
2: i i think by this point i'd well, i'd been sort of daydreaming <clears throat> big adventure for about 5 years at this point so i was pretty full to bursting with yeah. it and what i really needed was just a little prod yeah it was, I was away yeah it, it didn't take much no and that was no. it because um, uh, you know there were other scenarios in life where that prod is a much harder one but in this case it was just i just needed tipping to actually yeah. make it happen um i think it probably came from the writing of it rather than saying to mr walker because he was yeah. quite busy being a headmaster he yeah right sort of passed me in the corridor occasionally so it was me just mostly saying writing it to myself but everything i do in life now i very much write stuff down Um, if i'm trying to figure out what i want to do in life i write pros and cons and i write
1: things in a diary why is that why is that important i mean i'm really interested in this area because i i i think there's something really really um well for want of a better word important in 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 writing stuff down actually writing it down
2: yeah i find it it clarifies my head so if i'm really really busy one thing i do is i just spend 10 minutes just empty my head of onto a huge to-do list. If I'm trying to decide where to live in life, I write pros of things and cons, yeah. and then what I do is I argue against all the pros, and I argue against all the cons, all all in writing, and then it start, some sort of clarity starts to come from it, and I, I find it's just a way of articulating one word at a time in a
1: line, the mishmash of madness that goes through your head 24 hours a day. And, and, and your... Cycling off around the world, it that's what it turned out to be, but it could it easily have been something else, another adventure?
2: Yeah, very much. I, I didn't really like cycling. No, I certainly yeah, don't yeah. like it now. I chose cycling because it was cheap, primarily, I, you know, as a student. Uh, I chose it because it's painful, but not ridiculously so, like walking. It's slow say slower than motorbiking but quicker than walking I still after all these years I see it as the perfect way to travel and explore the world is by bicycle Uh, but it could very very easily have been some other adventure for sure
0: what what kind of characteristics um can you remember at that stage in your life so this is just before writing that letter did you have with within the context of being an adventurer I nothing really i was
2: a i'm really normal person i wasn't this reckless kid climbing trees and hanging out of windows Uh, i wasn't some sort of super athlete strong man um i didn't come from some sort of terrible broken home Mm -hmm. a lot of adventurers um are missing in some sort of way a father figure i didn't have any of these things i was just a normal guy who really liked travel books really was curious about traveling the world like a lot of young people and perhaps then my point of difference was that I really wanted to do something extraordinary and difficult for the first time in my life. I think I had quite a chip on my shoulder just from being a bit ordinary really you know throughout my growing up I was not the cleverest or the quickest or the sexiest or the fastest or anything I was just average and that yeah. really annoyed me. Good went, enough for everything. Yeah I was, and I was fine, I got did well in exams and I could kick a ball alright and I didn't get beaten up that often in the playground, it was just a bit ordinary and I, I think that's what uh, perhaps my point of difference to uh, some people was I just really
0: wanted to do something massive
2: in my life somehow. Okay,
0: did you, you, of the things you've said so far you've pointed at getting things done and then getting things done quite well a few times do you, was that something in you you know the ability to start something see where you wanted to go in, and get there once you put your mind to it
2: well i'm not sure i'd ever really had need to put that to my test because all i'd done in my life till then was schoolwork and exams i hadn't you know i didn't start a t-shirt business in my bedroom or anything like that i yeah. just Just a normal, moderately idle, but not ridiculously so student. I suppose perhaps one thing was whenever, you know, this first day of term at university, you get set all that coursework and essays and stuff that has to be done by Christmas. I used to just go to the library that week and do my entire work, term of work.
0: Okay, this is interesting. And then do
2: literally nothing till Christmas, but at least I'd just do it. Yeah, this
0: is interesting. And it was subtle, but you said before um, that you'd gone to do this placement and you'd done really well and then you got offered the job and that, I don't think that happens by chance, that happens because you apply yourself and you're rigorous and you've done the work and, yeah. and you get the reward. I, I think had I had I
2: gone into teaching I think I would have been a very good teacher, Which seems weird, but I, I, would have, I think I would have been a very good teacher, uh, so I guess as a student teacher I could see amongst the other students that I was just naturally better at that than <laughs> most of the other guys being student teachers I didn't really, my essays and things were rubbish but just standing okay. in front of a room full of kids I was quite good so, at. So
0: so the question I want to ask is at the point where you wrote that letter down you said I'm going to go, I'm gonna go cycle, cycle the world were you 100% confident that you were going to go off and do that thing and achieve it and there's an extension to the question which is can you think of other situations before that point where you'd also put your mind to something and again had the same feeling because it sounds like you're exhibiting that um, characteristic in what you're describing of becoming a good teacher
2: Um, I don't think I'd done that much before I suppose one, one interesting part of my development I think was that at university t- in order to pay for life i joined the territorial army okay which is a total random spontaneous thing just because a guy in my corridor also went along and i was like oh well, all right and it, i went because you got paid to run around the hills and the beer was really cheap i had literally no interest in guns at all but i really enjoyed the running around and for the first time in my life i really loved this the rigorous demands the army put on you which is these are our standards and you must match up to them. And I really enjoyed having that imposed on me for the first time and realizing that I quite enjoyed rising to those standards and learning to set high standards for myself within the spheres of life that I cared about. Mm. Um, so, so that those four years of, um, weekend warrior army training were really, really important for getting the mindset to go off and do a long physical journey. Okay. Um, to the second bit of your question, I was when I wrote that letter, I was pretty adamant that I was going to go and start the trip for sure. I don't think it, it ever really crossed my mind about whether or not I could actually cycle around the world. I mean, it's really big and it's going to take <laughs> years. And I didn't have, I didn't think I had enough money to get around the whole world. So it's more just a case of I've just got to do what I can with
0: what I have and do it now and see, see what happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, so y- So let's fast forward a little bit to, okay, you've started. What, just take us back to those moments and can you give us an idea of, you know, what did it feel like on a day-to-day basis? What were the highs? What were the lows? And in particular, can you remember moments where you were ready to give up? Um, Starting was a overwhelmingly difficult
2: thing Mm. that I'd really underestimated and I felt no excitement or joy at the beginning of my adventure. I just felt doomed, like a condemned man. That was my main overall impression. <laughs> and and then I set off just feeling completely lonely and out of my depth. And I was then very sad for quite a long time, riding across Europe, just thinking, what on earth have I done? This is horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I wish I was back with my friends having a normal life. Um, So I was pretty adamant in the early months that I'd quit moderately soon. Um, And to some degree or other, the feeling that I wasn't going to succeed and that I was going to fail, that continued for the first two years of the
1: trip. Wow. Wow. So you'd done it for two years and you still thought that failure might be the outcome.
2: Yeah, I was pretty sure for the first, at some point during those two years, because I wasn't even halfway at that point. At some point I thought, oh, I'm definitely going to jack this. So where were you? Uh, so first year, roughly speaking the first year I cycled to Cape town yeah. uh, and I thought I might give up when I get to Well, actually, I felt like I might give up a lot, but Cape town, I really thought when I get there, I might give up. And then I thought oh, I'll keep going. So I then spent year two cycling the length of South America. And at the end of year two, I really thought oh, I might give up now, but then I only had, then it was North America. North America is pretty easy. <laughs> so I thought oh, I might as well ride to Alaska. Uh, that was year three roughly. And once you've got all the way to Alaska, then I've only got to ride across Asia to get home year four. So I might as well just finish it now.
1: I love the way you say I've only got to (laughs) ride across (laughs) Asia and I'm home. That's
0: all I've got to do. It's fantastic context though, isn't it? Because this, this idea, I I think it's reasonably well understood this idea that if you, if you're doing anything that has any endurance, then setting yourself waypoints to work towards where you go, I'm just going to get to there and I'm only going to focus on that. And indirectly on a much grander scale that's that's what you were doing
1: yeah I, very I, much so I, I, by the way i do this i do exactly this but it's, it's i just say i'm going to run to the next lamppost and that's right then, exactly and then yeah. i'm going to walk <laughs> and then i'm going to walk yeah. and then i get to the lamppost and i think I'm, uh, maybe i'll make it to the post office and i will and you do it on a well somewhat larger scale
2: but in exactly the same, yeah. it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And now, now when I go running, I still think the same because running's hard work, isn't it? It mm. hurts. It is it's by mattering. yourself anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's re- yeah. Well, ex- that's also an interesting thing. Running by yourself is hard. Yeah. Is the reason why when you enter a race, you end it much more knackered than even if you're trying hard on your own. Um. So yeah, it's step by step by step. And one of the problems I had with that trip was because the end, the goal, the finish line, success, was so ridiculously far away it wasn't really much use as a thing to lure me on yeah. and also it was real. I realized it was a really bad idea for me to be cycling the whole way around the world just to finish it you know, it was ridiculous if the whole aim was the yeah. end mm. yeah you had to enjoy the journey yeah um so
1: wh- at what point did you start actually
2: enjoying it um year three <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. But then year four, I was just a bit fed up. I was, oh man, I've still got another year to go. And it was the law of diminishing returns, yeah. kicked in a bit. But so year one, I was really sad. It was wonderful as well. I mean, the whole thing was an extraordinary experience, but being by yourself, you have extreme highs and extreme mm. lows, and they bounce crazily up and down. And that mental roller coaster was quite exhausting. So even within the, the first and the second year, which I was finding really hard, the, the actual hardness of that, I could also cherish. It was quite masochistic. And um, what was the hardness? What, what, what the was hard, The two was main things. Was it loneliness things. or was it? Yeah, one was the sense of, I'm in this ridiculous thing that's going to take years to complete. And two was the loneliness of, um, yeah, I'm lonely. And then the next day you wake up and you're not lonely, you have solitude. And, and, so, yeah. and then you're like, whoa, I'm the this luckiest is amazing. The world. <laughs> I don't have a job. I can do this for years. Yeah. This is
0: the best thing in the whole world.
2: So,
1: yeah.
0: How so, um, you know, as maybe, maybe answer this as broadly as you'd like to start with and We can kind of dig deeper if, if there's reason to do so. But how, how did you change through those four years? your psyche, your energy, you know, what, what did you come back with that you didn't have to start with? I was really interested in,
2: um, when I got home to realise that I hadn't really changed. So I was still myself and the think the values I had and everything was still pretty the same. My friends from before the trip are my friends. Now, um, I was interested that I hadn't really changed. The thing what I had changed was that I was much more aware of who I was and I was much more aware of what mattered to me and what didn't matter to me so I I think the experience was a a focusing journey rather than a
0: transformative one was it easy so as you came back into let's call it the real world it's not fair but your norm your your pre-world and you met with your friends um, and I'm also wondering whether you ever spoke to the headmaster again did you feel like you didn't fit in anymore did you feel alienated did you feel like there was a divide or that you were trying to um, give something to other people that they weren't ready to receive um, no I, ne- I never have seen the
2: headmaster again um, I really hope he listens to this podcast oh, that would be lovely um, I should write him a letter actually there you go yeah um, so I felt before the trip that I didn't quite fit in with all my friends all my friends were just heading off to do normal graduate kind of life yeah. and I w- all through university i felt a bit of an outsider because i had this urge to just go and do something crazy then when i came home i i felt that was just hugely accentuated and i think that's a curse that i've uh suffered ever since it's an uh, it's opening of pandora's box mm. and i think now i find normal life really hard um and then when i go away on an adventure i just really miss normal life and community and belonging so I think it is a bit of a, a curse to do anything too extreme
0: what what do you think normal life is now
2: um well for me or yeah well normal life for me is that I'm now married uh with two kids and a mortgage and I live in suburbia <laughs> <laughs> that's the reality of my life I'll get away from uh, it, you <laughs> know, we have to finish this podcast at a certain <laughs> time so I can go pick my kids up from school which mm. I do every day but between the hours of 9am and 3pm Monday to Friday, I'm still trying to be wild, adventurous, vagabond, free spirit. It's just a bit
1: harder to do it in 30 hours a week. And do you, that routine, let's call it that, that, that routine, do you think that mm, because you have that routine, it makes the little adventures, um, you, you appreciate them more.
2: Yeah, I I definitely am more grateful now for my moments of adventure. I I appreciate them and they're very important to me now. Um, I find much of real life, normal life, domestic life incredibly boring, frustrating, constraining and limiting. And yet, I know from my Wild expeditions, when you're away for months or years, I know that there is more to life than that feeling of being wild and free, and yeah. that the the community and the belonging and the family is really, really important to yeah. me. So, so I'm so, trapped with a bit of both.
1: So it's that. So having a bit of both, having that balance between the routines and maybe the security and the relationships and um, interaction with people it's important to balance that and adventure
2: so yeah my adventure life essentially when i became a dad comp- changed very much from when before i kid before my first child was born i was planning to go and do this big expedition to the south pole for four months and once the baby was born suddenly that didn't seem like such a um, <laughs> viable option in life so i didn't do it and since then my approach to adventure has necessarily had to change very much. So I moved from trying to do the biggest, toughest adventures possible to show the world how tough I was and much tougher than you kind of chip on my shoulder, angry young man, to trying to work out ways in which it might be possible to live adventurously every day yeah, okay. in around the margins of real life, um, which I've called micro adventures is what I call those.
1: Yeah. This is, uh, this is the helicopter that's just arriving I think to uh, to take (laughs) us all off to the (laughs) south to take Alistair off (laughs) (laughs) surprise that's why he's got his big (laughs) rucksack Um,
0: this is uh, so that the the micro adventure philosophy is something that um, I think because we don't know too much about your angle on this yet but we know you've written a book um, is probably something that is a big overlap in the way we think about the world Um, but if it's okay for the moment let's leave that there and we'll come back to it in a second um let's come back to those moments of change from you've done your four years you come back you didn't really feel like you f- you fit in you fitted in too much with your friends before and now maybe you feel even more alienated and what what's in your head at that point you know what because because what's the future then uh, yeah i i was 29 when
2: i got home from cycling around the world and i very much felt then and i think I probably still do feel that my life had peaked. I mm. got home from doing this biggest adventure of my life, knowing then that I would never do an adventure bigger than that. And knowing that probably I'd never live life quite so vividly and richly mm. and deeply and fully as, as that ever again. And that's a bit of a... Uh, <laughs> A sad thing to realise, age twenty nine. But I mean, it's the common curse of athletes, isn't sure, it? Yeah. You you win your Olympic gold medal. You're on top of the world. You wake up in your hotel room the next morning, and you're still you. Yeah. And life has to go <laughs> on. Um, and Bradley Wiggins spoke very eloquently about that after one of his things. Mm. About, wow, all the things I was running from and chasing away from, they're still here with me.
0: And so, was that, was, was there any level of depression that sets in? dealing with that? Like, what, what was your mental state like? I was pretty um,
2: fed up for a couple of years. Yeah. I and mean, partly I was a knackered. You know, I really, I didn't realize for quite a long time just how knackered I was. I'd been on the road for four years during which every single day of those four years had in some way been dealt dealing with me getting around the world. Mm. So it's on a, a complete mission on barely any money and a terrible diet doing huge amounts of exercise I was knackered and I didn't give a moment's thought to what happens once you cross the finish line I didn't give any thought to what would happen next so yeah. I think so
1: not even in the last few weeks of your trip did you start thinking about the future you were just still focused on getting over that line no 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 I was uh, I was daydreaming
2: about the future and looking forward to not having to be back on my bike again yeah. and um, looking forward to seeing friends and hoping that I could start to write a book so yeah I was very much daydreaming about the future but I don't think I gave it much concrete thought about how will it actually feel to wake up not having to ride your bike today and mm. having to do stuff like go earn some money and mm. pay your national insurance and, and yeah. uh, just be stuck in one place how, how will that pan out. So for a couple of years, probably I was a bit of a lost soul really. Um, and then I managed eventually, well also linked in with that. I was trying to write a first book. It like got rejected by every single publisher as is pretty common for first time writers. That really, I was really despondent about that. Um, so, yeah, it probably took me a couple of years before I felt I was back on track.
0: And what did you do for, the, for, the, for that couple of years? So you were write, writing a book or try, trying to get the, the book written?
2: Yeah, I was writing a book, and to pay for my life, I was just doing hundreds of talks to school kids about my travels and adventures. So, okay. um, and uh, So we were d- teaching? I was teaching, but without having to wear a uniform, without having mm-hmm. to do any paperwork and being able to just come in for an hour, tell everyone some great stories, get everyone really excited <laughs> and hyped up and then walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was very much using my teaching background to do it. And for quite a few years, the, the main, the vast majority of my income was from giving talks to kids.
0: Wow. And that must have been really rewarding, was it? Yeah, that was
2: really rewarding. I was always very aware that four years cycling around the world on your own is such a, first world, selfish, privilege, luxury. Sure. And that at least to be sharing my stories and the experiences of different cultures
0: to young children was making something useful come from the experience for sure. Do you, are there any stories that have come from um, that of kids going off and doing their own thing that you know of? Well, now I'm, I'm now, it's now a sign of my age that some of the kids I'd
2: spoken to, I, you know I finished the bike trip in 2005 so Um, quite a lot of the kids I've spoke to are now adults and sometimes get emails from people say, Oh, you came to my school in this time and, and, um, I'm off doing some sort of adventure. Ah, Quite a lot of people
0: going off cycling around the world and things, which is really nice to have. That's great. Okay. So a couple of years goes by, um, and you, you start to work things out, what, then you got the adventure bug again, again, how did that come about and what was the moment of no return?
2: Yeah, It was interesting that what well, perhaps not surprising when I got back from cycling around the world, I had no uh, interest in firstly in cycling, but also anything adventurous. I was knackered, really. And it came about. Um, well, I was the, the there were all sorts of little things that so gradually heading towards it, but a real pivotal moment was uh, flying to my honeymoon. <laughs> Uh, flying to my honeymoon and you, when you fly to America you do that curve up over the north yes. over the Arctic and I remember flying looking out the window looking down at the ice of the Arctic Ocean and a friend of mine was planning an expedition to the South Pole and I just stared down at this ice for hours just thinking man I would love to be out there properly living life on the edge that is exciting and we got to our honeymoon and I sneaked away from the pool to go and email my friends saying <laughs> hey Ben can I come join you to the South Pole so that was my my first and only marital infidelity <laughs> that, that was a uh, that was the beginning of realizing that wow there's I'm, I'm back I'm ready for adventure again
0: so within those two years uh, you either met your wife we certainly got engaged and then got married in those two years and um, was your now wife was there did you know her before my so I yeah my wife now I went out with her
2: for four years before the trip tried to persuade her to come cycle around the world with me she not surprisingly didn't want to so we split up so that didn't help my mood as i set off around the world um and when we got back when i got back from the trip we got back together
0: wow great test of a relationship isn't it yeah it's
2: my mission of eating my cake and having it yeah
0: right (laughs) okay so so you go off on honeymoon get married that's a positive distraction maybe for a bit and then email your friend and then the, the adventure bug starts to come back into your mind's eye.
2: Yeah, so then that was when I just made quite a conscious choice of, right, this feels important to me. Let's try and do this properly. Let's Therefore, in other words, let's try and make it a career. I need to not just be tr- trundling around a few primary schools. I need to actually earn a living from adventure. So it was, a, it was taking it to another step of committing to taking this seriously.
0: Okay, and ha- how did you go through that process of... Um, starting to think about that to starting to make that real was there help from other people did you write it down how long did it take
2: I I started to make much more effort in building a professional veneer I suppose so which I suppose you'd call building a brand Mm. which is a ridiculous thing to say about yourself but one of the things I had to learn was to start saying ridiculous things about myself (laughs) without believing all the hype so I start I started blogging really seriously this was this is about 2009 and I thought if I if I'm gonna earn a living from this I need to tell people about you know, some people need to know about me so I took bl- I started blogging really seriously I treated it like a half-time job so half of my time was blogging um, I started um, making my website look professional I started to put up my speaking fees till people started to wince. Uh, to just sort of push what I f- was actually worth and starting to trying and do corporate speaking things. Um, I did a night school photography course so that I could start taking good photographs to make my talks and my magazine articles better. And then, uh, of course, the, the other important thing I had to do was do another adventure. So mm. to start doing more adventures that were exciting but also I had a bit of an eye now that they need to have some sort of story. I need, is this isn't just
0: about something I want to do. I need to come home and have a story to tell. And um, through all of that, so I'm really thinking about the military influence here again, uh, that this is very deliberate and very dedicated. Um, was, this, was this all you imagining this and deciding this was a good idea or were there other people that were helping you to work this plan out? there was well my friend Ben who I was trying
2: to go to the South Pole with he was um, probably three or four years ahead of me down this process so okay. he, he was a bit more professional um, than me at that point um, so so, I'd, and then various other adventurers who I either knew or followed online I started to learn from them and emulate them and try to feel that I too could belong in that category yeah. I also started reading lots of books I'd never really read of before some marketing books mm. and business books and things that had never crossed my mind before. So that, for example, the um, Seth Godin's blog, mm, I mm. discovered about that time. And that's actually one of the few blogs that I've been reading for more than a decade. Most blogs you sort of mm. lose interest in. So people like him uh, really started to make me focus on what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that's great. And then you said then that it was, it was obvious that there needed to be another adventure, but this time a bit more strategic maybe
2: yeah I, I wasn't going to go away for four years <laughs> again um, I was married for a start I didn't want to go away for four years again uh, I didn't I was enjoy I l- really loved London life despite finding it frustrating at times so it was a bit more strategic so I wanted things that were exciting interesting worthy of a story and probably two months at max okay so for example um, I crossed Iceland um, unsupported so I had to carry a month's worth of food um, by foot and a little raft, and I did that because Iceland is so wild and beautiful, and it was physically very tough, and it would be great for photography and video, and, and and really fun for me. And then I walked across India, southern India, coast to coast, for completely opposite reasons because it's total chaos, and there are a billion people, and all those stories, and all the color and noise and madness of that. So that would be a very different kind of story to to have.
0: Okay, so. There's two things going on here. It sounds like one is um, working out what you can give to other people. As you say, the stories that come back and the um, richness and the um, variance. But there's also something about your needs in this as well. And and being, you know, in the best way, selfish about what your next thing is, what what you want and what you want to experience personally.
2: Yeah, I was very conscious that it was a very selfish existence. an obvious comparison is compared to me being a science teacher mm. far more useful to the world in many ways so i was doing this stuff because it just felt really important to me to just to sort of ease this a bit every trip i did i'd try and raise money or awareness for a charity but i was always quite transparent that i'm doing this cool trip please sponsor me but i'm not i'm not the trip is for me i wasn't claiming sure. to be doing this and the other thing i started to do just quite naturally, actually, I'm not really thinking about it was a lot of my blogging started trying to be quite helpful blogging. So offering advice and mm. tips and how to do this. And it, it quite early on started to slide away from just here's how to pack your bags for a bike ride to more metaphorical stuff for here's my thoughts on living life and making stuff happen.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and that's well, you certainly have spent a lot of time with your own thoughts on this journey, consider, and you said earlier, and it's something that I want to come back to around, you know, being a better version of you and your future and what you want to be. And I'd imagine that that's, you know, from a lot of built up experience of really internalizing your existence. Um, so in, in, in this phase, um, I'm really conscious that we're really not going to do justice to the extent of adventure that you've had. Um, and, I wanna make sure that we point people in the direction of the best places to go and find that stuff. So in terms of, if you could just give us the, the plotted history of, of those various different adventures and, and maybe just give us the, the kind of big stories that sit within it. And we'll fast forward as quickly as we can, um, but not leaving anything behind so people can go and find that stuff yeah, to, the, to the micro-adventure piece. Okay, well it, interestingly,
2: look you don't really know what's important in your life till you step till you look back on it but i now look back and i realize that cycling around the world was really important to me because that started everything and it was huge and completely changed my life the next 10 years of trying to go to the south pole rowing the atlantic walking across india crossing the empty quarter desert and iceland and spending a few months in the arctic and a few ultra marathons all of that i think I don't really need to say anything more about it than what I've just said. Really, it was just a few years of trying to have big, exciting adventures and try and build up a point where I could earn my living from it. Mm. And I think that's really the only thing that's need to be
0: said on any of those. Mm. Really, it's it's crazy to hear you say that, but at the same time, it's completely understandable. Do you do you recognise that when you say it now? How crazy it is yes. for people to hear that? Yeah, I do, and I recognise that. You know, he, for a lot of
2: people, each one of those would be the adventure of a lifetime, mm. which they would regale their friends with as their pub stories forever. And then someone else will have ha- – yeah. But th- but in my life, because it's my j- my nature and my job, is that I've just done lots of adventures. Mm. Like um, a builder's built lots of buildings. But if I built a little building, I'd be telling everyone about it because I'd be so yeah right. amazed. So, yeah, I, ca- I can understand that. But also, I've really – have figured in my head that there's not really much to add to my
0: personal life story from those years of having a great time doing big adventures. I just want to challenge you on that um, for a moment because I suspect that through those adventures, the reason that they are inspiring and the kind of thing that most people would dine out on for a lifetime is because they are, they're on the edge, you know, they're they're coming really close to death. They're coming really close to kind of experiences that most people don't
1: touch. And feelings that they wouldn't normally feel.
0: Yeah. And so my question really is, do you feel as though you'd already picked up enough of those sorts of experiences in every respect on the four year cycle endeavour? Or were there actually those moments that are worth talking about?
2: No, I think they were they were wonderful experiences, all of them and on the edge. And I would like to have carried on doing many more years. And I was having I was absolutely loving it. And then Um, various things happened that led to me starting to do micro adventures which is sort of a completely new phase so no I I, they they were very big experiences in my life they're no way a waste of time or a grey period of my life but I I think the the things we've talked about from cycling around the world I think all of those things it was just building up and applying Mm. more of that lifestyle over the next years. Okay I understand.
1: So so you you said that they were wonderful experiences and you enjoyed them but your first trip, pretty much the three out of four years you didn't enjoy. Oh no, I loved it. I mean, I was,
2: I liked it was a truly miserable experience, but pretty much every expedition I've done has been miserable. You know, I rode the Atlantic ocean every single minute of it. I was thinking, get me off this boat. I'm never doing this ever again. And then I get back and I uh, see the guys in the pub and we talk about, oh, they were the best days of our life. So I'm very much, pretty much a lot of what I've done has been trying to do willfully, miserable stuff just because I really like that stuff.
1: Okay, and, and, and what, but why do, you, why do you like being miserable?
2: Why does anyone run a marathon? It's that, is that thing really of deliberately doing something that's hard and difficult and struggling in order that at some <laughs> unknown point in an unknowable future somehow it'll make you happy and feel satisfied and okay. expand yourself. But Is that
1: because you achieve your goal or because you find out more about who you are?
2: Uh, the latter. I've goals really don't interest me at all. I've been, you know, I set this nominal target for an expedition, but getting to the finish line always leaves me flat. And actually, whenever I get to a finish line, what I actually think is, oh, I got to the finish line. (laughs) That means it was too easy. I should have put the finish line
1: further down the road. Right. Okay. So it it really is about understanding yourself. That is the the joy and understanding yourself is uh, understanding when what makes you suffer and what makes you punch the air and
2: yeah and what feels important to me and what feels worthwhile so yeah it's it's a it's a nice plate going on expeditions is quite nice because it's a simple life and it removes complications and distractions and it removes barrier it removes excuses it removes the excuses that you put up in your mm. mind and you just have to learn to be very honest with yourself and about yourself and I I enjoy that clarity and I also enjoy earning the right to sit on my sofa and relax as
0: well <laughs>
1: yeah okay yeah yeah so you're not always like this no you're not no. always the, the, you know the couch potato <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so
0: so through that incredible cv of big adventures it's when you talk about um the soloing to and was it antarctica i you know you believe yourself i believe you everyone like of course you're going to do that and it's sort of i guess one way to look at it is well, where does it stop because as you say you can keep going more and more and more and more and human beings have done some incredible things so i guess it doesn't it doesn't stop and Do you remember realising that, almost working that out?
2: I think a lot of this adventure stuff is kind of like being an addict in some ways. Yeah, that's what I I Um, almost asked that question earlier. Yeah. Like,
0: do you feel like you got addicted to it?
2: Yeah. And I think I have quite an addictive personality and quite Mm. an extreme personality. And... Well, you know what well, What happens with addicts you need either bigger doses or stronger drugs or bigger hits and then that ends usually in disaster mm. and the same thing often happens in adventures you know people climb higher and higher things till so eventually they fall off and die and everyone feels sad and says oh well at least they died doing something they, they loved, loved yeah. which i think is dumb mm. so um so one thing i noticed was needing to get m- do more things to get the hit but also realizing that as I did more and more of these trips, I got more and more competent at this sort of life yes. and I was more familiar with things. There's a big law of diminishing returns and actually a lot of the, re- a lot of the reasons I began, you know, wanting to push myself and uncertainty and excitement and risk, they kind of gone away. You know, if I had to get on my bike now and cycle to China, I'd quite happily do that with a passport and a credit card. The thrill has gone because I've done it so much. Mm. So I realized... Because you've
1: climbed that mountain. Yeah, I've done all that. So yeah.
2: rather than... I realized that you couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that um, I was no longer living adventurously actually in my own way I was just in a routine and a rut okay yeah and therefore what I needed to do was look very differently at what adventure meant to me and living adventurously and try and find a different way to
0: live adventurously. And and having your first child was a good catalyst to really push you over the edge in terms of how you were how you were to realize that. Um, well, actually, this, this I'm
2: talking about now is a few years down from having kids. Oh, it, really? was, it was more so. Um, this, the, the culmination of this point was me trying to think about right, what am I terrible at? What scares me? What will bring back that fear and uncertainty and excitement? And that's how I ended up deciding to um, take up the violin and busk across Spain for a month without any money or credit card. Because I had no idea how I could do that. The idea of it terrifies me, and it sounded absolutely ridiculous. In other words, it sounded exactly like the perfect adventure that I used to dream of in very different ways 15 years yeah. earlier.
0: Okay. This is fantastic. I think I think I'm I think I'm understanding. So, you are you've gone on this journey to kind of always just ex- expand your comfort zone again and again and again. And as you say, you get to a point where you can't expand your comfort zone um well by doing, mayb- by maybe, doing the same thing well, you, you maybe you can but you're probably going to kill yourself doing it or it's just not going to be as enjoyable you're not you, you know you, it's, it's the law of di- diminishing returns and so what you did is is continue to expand your comfort zone but just work out how you needed to do that with the built-up experience and um knowledge base and the capacity of where your mind was at the time yeah exactly and i think that so, so that just having a
2: different viewpoint on adventure, rather than just what is so conventional, it was quite an eye-opening experience for me. In thinking, wow, if it's all about these sort of things, then I can apply that to loads of things in life. I yeah. can apply it to being a parent, or or starting a business, or all sorts of it. Di- writing your f- writing my first opera which mm. i literally thought of that second but i could think <laughs> Bet tr- you couldn't well exactly <laughs> and i wouldn't know how to begin and it'd be quite scary it'd probably be rubbish and then then you start thinking well actually why not maybe i could how do i begin what's mm. my equivalent of writing to mr walker and getting me started on yeah writing what's the an first opera? Step? that's yeah. right yeah and okay. the first step is what this all comes down to time and again
1: i've noticed that and and so i think what you're saying is that your adventures don't have to be travel adventures.
2: Yeah, very much so, particularly now as I'm getting older and I have domestic responsibilities, um, that it's useful for me to try and apply this attitude of living adventurously to a broader spectrum of experiences. and, And I
1: can only imagine, if my experience is anything to go by, that the adventure of having children is pretty high on the list. Uh, th- that's the, the greatest adventure
2: and challenge of all mm, by yeah. a very long way, yeah, without a doubt. And and a great aspect of it is it reminds me to be curious and wild and bold like little kids all are. And to, mm, yeah. to remember that kids are so curious and creative and exciting <laughs> and adults are so boring.
0: Well, we've had this
2: conversation oh. a few times now. It's come, now come up and so and many it, times. it just so keeps it, coming to the surface. What we
0: talk about is this idea that we, we are just children who have, Um, got more hairy and worked out a way of existing within the boundaries of society to ultimately to fit in but uh, in our hearts if if we're hungry and tired then we act like idiots we're just much better at hiding it than than kids are yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. I think what i one thing I've been
2: really trying to do in recent years is to be become more childlike, mm. not childish, but childlike. childlike yeah. So to make myself climb trees and mm. jump into rivers and do things that I used to enjoy
0: as a kid and actually enjoy e- probably more so now as an adult. As a So as you became a parent, and as you said, that's in terms of micro microadventure principles of that, it's maybe one of the best ways to have that ongoing um aspect to your life, um, you you had a real head start in the way that you could think about this and could see it in, t- in the way that you're describing it now. Did that mean it was more enjoyable and did that mean that you could um, bec- become a parent in a, in a different kind of way? No, I think completely the opposite. I think because I'd spent
2: 20 years l- marching to the sound of my own drum, being a deliberately wild free spirit with no ties out in the world living a selfish life filled with ambition and drive to then suddenly have to diligently care for another human being doing quite boring monotonous repetitive stuff every day i found intolerably hard in many ways yeah. So a massive challenge yeah the hardest thing i've ever done and i really really struggled and how with did it.
1: you how did you cope with it not very well at
2: all. Um, and how old are your kids? Uh, nine and seven. Okay. Yeah. And I feel I, it's only very recently I've started to talk about this because I felt very guilty that I was not coping with it very well, but I finally cracked it now. My kids are a good age. I'm really enjoying it now. So I I feel I really, really enjoying it now. Um, the way I coped with it, (laughs) um, was I started doing micro adventures. So I can't go cycle around the world anymore, but I've got this urge to get out. Ah, I'm going crazy. So I just started going, putting the kids to bed then going to sleep on my local hill for the night and then getting back home before they woke up in the morning or um, just um, getting up an hour before everyone else in the house, going for a quick swim in a river, coming back home, so trying to make small, short, local, cheap adventures around the margins of
1: real and, life and what did you how, how do those micro adventures compare to the macro adventures
2: well I'd be lying if I'd say they were perfect substitute but what I've really noticed and been surprised and really thrilled about is quite what a good job they are as a substitute
1: in the short space of time you spend doing them well and also
0: sorry alongside everything else that you now have as stimulus Mm.
1: yeah yes so you you get
2: i can't argue that sleeping on a hill matches cycling around the world but it does a pretty good job of giving me a taste of wildness and a bit of physical exertion and turning off my phone for yeah. a night and just being away it's it's uh, it is an adventure it's just yeah. a small one so yeah
1: and, and but it's it's one it's a it's one that we could all do yeah and we, that's we could all find a way of doing that and we would come up with lots of excuses it'll be cold it might be dangerous there'll be drunks around but you know you can probably find somewhere yeah and so
2: another part of this whole process that was very helpful for me was I started trying to really help other people to live more have more adventures themselves because I start getting endless not endless I start getting emails from people saying I'd love to do what you do but I can't because Mm. you're an adventurer and I'm a normal Mm. person and I wish I had as much time as you and and you must have so much money and all these things and so I realized that we're, the same barriers apply to all of us and some of them are legitimate you know, a lack of time or a lack of yeah. money are quite legitimate but a lot of them are just excuses we build up in yeah. our head so the micro adventures I started very specifically trying to find different things to do to say, Oh, you haven't got much time. Okay. Do this. You haven't got much money. Okay. Do this. You're scared of drunk people. Okay. Do this. You you don't like if it rains on you. Okay. Do this. So whatever excuse people gave me, I try and come up with some sort of adventure, go and do it till eventually all the excuses are covered.
0: And the only thing that's left is the wimpish little voice inside your head. And then you've become what you, didn't believe you were in the same way that you said I was normal going to be the science teacher and I wasn't an adventurer and now you absolutely are an adventurer. Yeah, I'm an adventurer because it says on my
2: business cards (laughs) that I made myself, but but I'm trying to make it so that everyone can be doing Mm. small adventures, building up a habit of it building up some momentum and then realising, whoa, I could do bigger adventures if i choose to
0: can we just I, I just don't want to miss the point i'm looking at your bag and i'm um, and i'm not sure we we made it clear that w- earlier when we referred to the big bag that you brought and not being able to go to the place we were going to go it's because you had something with you which you just touched on so just tell us about that because that that's that's it sounds like it's connected up to you moving from big adventure to micro adventure
2: yeah so i i learned the violin for seven months which anyone who's got a six year old kid will know is not very long <laughs> at all and my, the screeching cat horrible sounds but I decided just to go anyway and give it a go so I turned up in Spain with no money no credit card only my violin and a plan to walk 500 miles over a month.
0: Were you Sorry, were you married at this time? Yeah, this was a couple of years ago. And your wife, how did she feel about this?
2: Well, so we'd gone through all the years of little babies and me doing micro-adventures and me going to sleep on hills and all the chaos of little kids. And we got to the point where they were both at school and life starts to settle down a little bit more. And w- What I, kind
0: of age? I'm desperate to know because I've got a couple of young kids, so I'm, I'm just planning okay, my, so my route to Spain.
2: So they were... Um, uh, six and four. When okay. I did this, they, but they were both at, they were both at school yeah. essentially. Yeah. So we kind of worked away juggling my wife's work holidays and things. I could go away for a month to do this. We must also remember, in defence of myself <laughs> here, that my job yeah. is doing <laughs> adventures, yeah. and this this has been one of the real struggles for me in the last since being a parent is that if I want to go away and do work, everyone just thinks I'm going on holiday. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if someone who's an accountant has to go to a conference that lasts a month, everyone go, Oh, poor you, you've got to go and do this conference. Yeah. So it is, it is my work. Yeah. But equally, I love it. And, and, uh, my wife acknowledges that as well. So I got and negotiated a month's leave. Great. Turned up in Spain, no money, completely rubbish at the violin to just try and force myself to be brave and stand up and play the violin. Could
0: you speak Spanish?
2: Yeah. My Spanish is fine. So okay. my Spanish is fine and I can walk 500 miles and, um, I can sleep outdoors and cook on fires and stuff. So that side is
0: all fine. Did you have an emergency credit card?
2: No, because that that ruins the point of it. Okay. Yeah, you need commitment to this. And so also I had a rule that whenever I earned money, I had to spend all of the money so that tomorrow I'd be back to zero and back to fear again. So it's just completely compulsory vulnerability throughout the trip. And the reason I brought the violin today is because the, the book that I wrote about that trip is just uh, coming out next week. So I have the... Uh, the Spain trip and violin on my mind at the moment. Yeah.
0: So, it's, and you succeeded, right? So you, you managed, to, you couldn't play the violin, but you...
2: Yeah, I could play five re- songs of about 20 seconds each. They're pretty rubbish from the grade one syllabus that little kids learn. Okay. Uh, and I made it, yeah, I earned in a month 120 euros, which was
0: beyond my wildest <laughs> dreams. You can live like a king for 120 euros. So. But that was more people asking you politely to stop. <laughs> yes, perhaps <laughs> that may be. Yes. But it doesn't matter. And. Um, where did you live what what was what, what, what was it like well it was great I mean the I an
2: interesting aspect is that until day one till I arrived in Spain I didn't even look at the map didn't even give a moment's thought to having to walk 500 miles and find places to sleep each night
1: because I've been doing that for 20 mm. years yeah that was you, you knew what to expect was my day it, job it, so. it felt like the unknown to somebody who was going for the first time but you'd been there done that exactly it, it was gonna be fine
2: yeah exactly whereas if I'd say nicola benedetti had gone she'd been quite confident about her violin playing but might have worried how do you find a place to sleep at night so um and it was just a magical experience she
1: probably would have made more than 120 euros is my guess maybe not Uh, yeah
2: 120 yeah exactly (laughs) i suspect so and then hotels and uber all the way yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) but yeah what did what did what did that look like in terms of um uh how people responded to you whether you made friends on the trip um The ease of being able to earn money and what you ate, etc. Yeah,
2: It was a real exercise in just trust because I completely depended upon people giving me money Mm. by playing. I wasn't saying to people, hi, everyone, I'm really bad. I'm doing this for a kind of stunt. I was just genuinely standing there playing my violin like any busker, working, trying to earn money despite being terrible. So the responses from people went from wrinkled noses and bemusement to laughter, but the It was in many ways the most social trip I've ever done because it completely depended upon people. Even though people are just passing you for a few seconds, you have to get eye contact and try and quickly communicate. And then, of course, chatting with lots of people along the way Um, and just small random acts of kindness, which you often encounter on traveling. Um, All that on a backdrop of beautiful Spanish countryside, sleeping under the stars, eating banana sandwiches it was it was a wonderful experience
0: oh that sounds great and you brought the violin with you today um, tell us more about why i
2: brought the violin uh, in case you wanted me
0: to play a song which for we you. absolutely do <laughs> okay we save, we'll save that <laughs> save that for the end it? yes great. um but but also did you wonder about maybe just setting up on the corner and having a go
2: yeah as i was walking around to get here today i did actually think I've never busked in England. I should mm. try this sometimes. So, um, yeah, it did cross my mind. However, I've, I did it for a month in Spain when it really mattered. Today I have a wallet in my pocket. Yeah, right. and right. kind of, if I did it now, it would just be, I've done, I, I know I can do it,
0: therefore I should find a different challenge okay. to do. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things that I really want to make sure, we're a bit tight for time, but I want to make sure we cover off if that's okay. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about micro adventures and um how people should think about those um and the other thing is right back at the beginning when you talked about understanding more about the kind of person that you wanted to become um and what you understand of that now and what you're working towards so micro
2: adventures have been my attempt to take my world which is literal adventures down to a way that's small and achievable for anyone to to try and look at the opportunities for adventure not the constraints and barriers that get in the way to to look at your five to nine as hours of freedom rather than bemoaning the nine to five so trying to look for opportunities and trying to take some big idea and start with the smallest little iteration of that you can and all of that in my world revolves around Camping trips and canoeing, but I think the thought process applies very much to anyone who's doing something creative as to just how to get started. And time and again in my life, things have come back to this idea of having a really big idea and then figuring out how to get myself out the doorstep and beginning. So, micro adventures, um, and, and one of the reasons I slightly gloss over those years of rowing oceans and stuff is because. Uh, they were an important part of my life, but my life now, if I think of adventures now, I think of myself as the micro adventure guy who's trying to encourage people to do these small things.
1: And And are they all in nature?
2: In my world they are, yes. In my world is all about non motorized travel and experiences out in the outdoors, but some motorbike enthusiast might find a way to do it totally differently. So my world's all about wilderness and literal adventure, but I, you know, I don't have a trademark on this concept. <laughs> but so an example then of how things have got smaller and smaller that might be of interest is now I'm quite busy in life at the moment. So on the first of every month, my calendar, my Google calendar pings up saying, go climb a tree. The first of every month I've scheduled it in. So I have to stop what I'm doing. I've got this nice oak tree. So about 10 minutes away, climb the tree. It takes me about five minutes. And then once I'm up in the tree, I look around and I see how, Nature's changed in the last month since I was last there. I have a bit of a think about how my last month has gone. I might imagine a little bit about what I'm going to do in the next month. Then I come back down the tree, get back to work, and just trying to build little pockets of escape and adventure into my daily life is what I'm trying to do these days.
0: That's really fascinating. I just want to take um, some of our listeners back to another episode that we recorded with a guy called Alan Phillips, who's a a really well-esteemed architect. And he talked about... um, this space, which was under the roots of a tree, which was where he would go proactively in order to look at nature, get inspired, reset, like internalize. Imagine, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, the role of nature, the role of clarity. And, um, and there's, I just, there's some good parallels there. The other thing I just wanted to say, which I know Ray's thinking about, um, is a bit of a disclaimer for anyone that knows us because we Ray and I um, there's a business that we're both showers that the Ray started called do something different um, which I don't think you know anything about actually um, I mean it's kind of the, the clues in the name do something different and the whole point of the business is to help people to get something different out of what they do in their lives by um doing something different and giving them little small steps and challenges that nudge them in a, in a new direction and, and ultimately rewire their brain. they are going to um, call them micro We now. are, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's really fascinating. I, I wondered if there might be an overlap, and it's really clear that, I mean, it sounds like there's an overlap. Let's, that, that's probably a good segue into um, the meta of what it is that you're doing and how you um, can look at that in the context of who you want to become and what it's doing to you and the people that you're sharing this idea with. So I've changed very much, uh, as has anyone who goes from
2: 20 to 40. Mm. So uh, initially I really was wanting to prove myself to the world and prove myself to myself by doing something big and tough. And I kind of I did that sort of stuff, which helped me feel a bit more self-confident and feel that like I had a bit of a place in my, within my little world. And that then gave me the confidence to start being broader and more creative in everything that I do and the way I think about adventure. And then the micro adventures really helped me work out a way to marry the different sides of my life. So my real life with family and commitments and ties like everyone has. And then my also my dream life of individual wandering vagabond that's still inside me and how can I try and make those two things compatible and not in conflict. And then going away to Spain, was the culmination of that long journey really in terms of looking differently at adventure and trying to make my well not trying to make myself looking differently at adventure and learning that the way the place I am at now in my life is that I think it's more important rather than striving for one big adventure of a lifetime instead to just try and have a lifetime of small little adventures and and it, and uh, and with all of that being about the attitude that you jump out of bed and charge at life with, rather than going to literally cross a desert. So, but, but you bring this attitude of adventure to your relationship
1: with your kids. I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, very much. And these days, that is my the focus of my life is is uh, being with my kids. So I I do all the school runs. So I've my thirty hours of adventure life, and then 138 hours a week of being dad and trying to encourage my kids to be the three things I'm trying to encourage them to be is curious, wild and bold. And that means nothing that they have to go climb any mountain at all. They can become an accountant and still be those three. Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I understand. And I think I, I totally I get it. I get it. Uh,
0: what does what, what are you working on um, in terms of yourself and what you want to become now? What what does, you know, the, the things that that you're still wrestling with?
2: Well, I do a lot of wrestling with myself, um, which is one of the things I'm trying to work on is just to slow down, calm down, to accept that I can't do everything in life and to just be simpler, calmer and happy with all the things that I do have rather than cursing and raging at all the things that I don't have.
0: Uh, And how does that manifest itself?
2: it manifests itself in climbing trees, swimming in rivers, Mm. reading lots of books and enjoying being with my family and trying to remember to be grateful for those things regularly. It it sounds
1: like what you're trying to achieve is some degree of balance.
2: Yeah, I think I've always lived life to extremes and I have a tendency in anything I do in life whether physical or emotional or anything, to just do it to extremes, and yeah, trying to find a, a balance in the middle, uh, the golden mean, I suppose, is what I'm going the for. The balance
1: doesn't mean you you do things, you take a, a
2: settling in mediocrity.
1: Yeah, that's right. You do, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So you don't don't settle for mediocrity. You just do both things. You do the routine very well, and you do the adventure very well. Yeah. And and, and but you don't. You don't have, it's not 99% adventure. It's, you know, you're just doing both,
2: both things well. Yeah. I'm trying to do fewer things,
1: but yeah. do them better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah great. Alistair, okay. it's been an absolute
0: pleasure. What a fantastic conversation. Um, yeah.
1: And we're, we're almost we're we're on rest- time yeah. as well. We've done well on time. Um,
0: so your, let's just uh, talk about the book for a second. So when's the book coming out? What's it called?
2: The book is called My Midsummer Morning. And it comes out at the end of May. Okay. Um, And um, I've done a short film about it, which will come out later in the year. But yeah, the the book is my big thing. And I'm really nervous about this book. It's been my latest exercise in vulnerability, Mm. because it's the first book I've ever written that is just fully honest about what essentially midlife crisis, struggling with being a dad, thinking my adventure life was over, trying to figure it out. The sort of things we've been talking about here, it's very recent that I've actually spoken about any of this so I'm quite nervous about the book for the, for that reason but okay. I think also I think it's the best thing I've ever written and I say that not to boast but as a mean
0: meaning now I have no excuse to hide behind if it's rubbish yeah, so yeah. trying <laughs> to make myself vulnerable yeah, yeah. yeah good for you and um and where can people find you not literally well unless you want people to find you no I don't want people to find me <laughs> definitely not
2: uh, you can find me all well I've spent 20 years trying to f- get f- find it around the internet (laughs) so if you can vaguely spell Alistair Humphreys you should find my blog and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and all that sort of
0: stuff. Where's the best place for people to get inspiration from where uh, you're at and what you're doing?
2: Well com. I have two newsletters actually I have one that's a fairly normal newsletter of adventure type stuff and links the usual sort of thing um, which I enjoy doing And then my new projects, I've started a new newsletter called Living Adventurously, which is about all the stuff we've been talking about in terms of trying to work out how anyone can live more adventurously in however they are defining adventure so it's yeah. nothing to do with that's how the one, to put that's up the a tent. one i'm signing up for. yeah great so am I. Yeah. you've got two yeah. more subscribers oh, good. Yeah. The, and the, i've also decided that this newsletter is going to become a book so i put the book for sale even though i haven't yet written it as another reason
0: to give myself ah, a bit fantastic. of terror fantastic, fantastic. love it um if we have time i'd love to hear um, a quick rendition on the uh, violin sure can we squeeze it in yeah yeah, yeah. always great all right. yeah thank okay. you for having me all, all right all. thank you um Alistair's just well given us the, the last um, rendition that he did with his kids which is um, the the notation for away in a manger. So we have got we've got big hopes here.
2: This is my first London gig is, by the way. This is like when Bruce Springsteen you played at the one, Hammersmith yeah. Apollo. Oh yeah, okay. Um, uh, do you wanna hold that one up? Yeah, i this one up. Um, apologies, everybody. <laughs> donations. I should put, the, put this out for donations. Optimistically. Yeah. Right. So this is my masterpiece <laughs> tune. I'm quite nervous yeah. now. <laughs>
1: Me start yet? Yeah. This is the warming up process, by <laughs> the way, just, just uh, in case you're <laughs> wondering. Oops, oops.
0: Yay! Come on, Ole!
1: I couldn't do that. Do you I know that? That.
2: Uh, no. well, uh,
0: for a moment, <laughs> for a moment, I would have said Little Donkey, <laughs> but it wasn't, was it? Go on, what it, was it? It, it, it?
2: it was the Muppet Show theme tune. Ah, well, when
0: great apps I, when I, I listen back to that, I'll absolutely um, yeah. know that that's what it was. And to yeah.
2: get your wife's uh, opinion on. I will. Opinion. I, will, I will. yeah, yeah, I
0: absolutely will. <laughs> great, <laughs> yeah, day. thanks, well, Alistair. Yeah, great, well. that's it folks for show notes head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links a quick summary and you can also explore other conversations if you're enjoying this podcast then please tell your friends give us a good rating and remember to subscribe we're also really keen to hear your feedback so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on twitter you can tweet us at lifedundiff. that's double f